Church podcast. We're here again still in our series called Boot Camp, and we're ready now. We've crossed over. We're in the land. We're ready to possess, but then suddenly it's not so fast. Hold on a minute. And God says, make knives yourselves, and we're going to go through circumcision. We're going to cut to the root of your identity, and we're going to remove any brokenness or anything that could hinder you from fully realizing your future destiny. This is a really important principle, a very important truth. And Pastor Zach does such a great job of establishing you in your identity, authenticity, and in the spirit, walking free from the flesh. So you're going to be blessed. Come on, let's get into the word. Because the Bible says that actually he's able to do more than we can ask or imagine. More than I can imagine. I can imagine some pretty crazy stuff. And he says, you know what? You've got permission to do that, and then I'm even going to blow your mind even farther. But you know what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen by his power at work in us. In us. So there's something about us that has to connect with the impossible. There's something about us, just like Madeline said. That was really, really good. There's something something we have to do in our minds that has to allow us to connect with the possibility of being people who see impossibility bow to the name of Jesus. Isn't that good? Now, that's what some of these guys in the Old Testament saw. That's what the guys in Joshua saw when they came to that river. They came to a, a, an impassable, impossible situation, just like uh, Pastor Carl said a few weeks ago. There's a raging river that, you know, God in his wisdom took them right to the edge of, that he wanted them to cross over, but he took them to the edge of this river at the worst possible time. Who knows right now, some of our dreams, some of the things we want to see, it could be the worst possible time to consider them. Right? God doesn't care. He says, I'm still going to bring you across, and you're going to see at the end that it was my mighty arm and my outstretched hand that brought you through it. So I tell you what, if you're looking at something and it seems impossible and impassable, you are at what's called a divine setup to see God do something incredible, to see God do something more than we could ask, and something that causes people to say, oh my goodness, how did that happen? There's no, I know you. There's no way you did that. Right? <laughs> Praise God. So Jesus, he's actually in a, in a weird kind of metaphorical way. Now, don't get lost in the, in the details of the pictures and the analogies here. But we've, uh, we are tying the book of Joshua, and that's what we're going to carry on today. We're working again through the Preparing to Possess the Promise sermon series. I think this is number seven now or something like that. But uh, we as a people believe that God has brought us, we're on the precipice of transitioning into something significant as a people. Now, don't let that detract from the fact that God has already done something significant in your life. Jesus Christ has already beaten sin. He's already taken us from death to life. He's already taken us from sickness and curse to blessing and healing and health. Jesus Christ has already triumphed over all of that stuff. Now our job, it says, the victory that overcomes the world now is our faith. Our job is to connect by faith to the reality of what Jesus already did. So don't, let, don't, don't get lost in the details of the story. Acknowledge the fact that Jesus Christ has already overcome on our behalf. Jesus has already taken us over. And now what we're doing when we face an impossible and impassable situation, a circumstance like moving church buildings, or maybe you've got a relationship problem or a financial issue or or a health issue, and it seems like it's impossible and impassable, what we're doing now is we're tapping into the fact that Jesus already defeated that thing. We're not trying to say, God, come and do something for us to secure a victory for us. We're approaching that obstacle and that problem, and we're introducing that obstacle and problem to the previously won victory of Jesus. 
Incredibly important. Incredibly important, particularly in days where it feels like there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on. I mean, it feels like, you know, that not, not only do you experience sometimes natural opposition, but sometimes the devil just wants to get in the details and just mess things up. Right? And that's true for us as a group of people. That's true for us personally. Sometimes you got to push back. Sometimes you got to fight. But in Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, Jeremy Wright and I were talking about this this week, sometimes you got to stand, and then having done everything, you got to stand some more. And what you're standing on is the truth of the victory that Jesus already won. So don't get lost in the details here. Don't forget that. Don't, don't forget that whatever impossible, impossible thing is in front of you, Jesus already beat it. You've already crossed over it in Jesus. That's not wishful thinking. That's not, that's not trying to trick yourself in the power of positive thinking. That's identifying myself with Christ and calling those things that are not as though they were. And that's what faith is. Faith is saying it may not look like it. It certainly doesn't feel like it. And when I look in front of me, there's certainly an obstacle there. But I'm introducing that obstacle to the goodness of my God, who is too good to not believe. And we talked about last week when we face difficulties and we were, we're on the verge of a transition corporately, individually. When we, pass, when, we, when we come to these impassable, impossible crossings in our lives, we draw strength, courage, and faith to cross over in the knowledge that Jesus already took us over. And that faith empowers our actions and it empowers victory in our future engagements. And that faith is something that's encouraged, it's inspired, it's nurtured through personal, intentional, and generational declaration of what God has done over our lives. Now, George sung, sung a bunch of things, the whole worship team, they're singing a bunch of stuff today. I've seen God do this and I've seen God do that. Now, I don't know if you need the encouragement in your life at any point, but if you do that for your own personal world, like just, just spend some time sometime and rehearse what God has done in your life. Sometimes you'll be amazed. Sometimes that, that thing that's coming to discourage you you will find yourself encouraged. You will find courage rise up in your heart to face a problem when you can look back and say, hey, wow, God did this for me already. You know, sometimes it's really easy to kind of fall back into that kind of religious mindset, like God, God's left me on my own. Sometimes I need to figure out how to uh, overcome this problem. And when you can tap into the fact that he's already helped you in the past, and he did it by grace, and it wasn't because you were awesome. It was because he just loves you. That, that encourages, that inspires faith for the future, right? Because all of a sudden, you don't have to get more awesome. <laughs> you know? The God who met you and blessed you when you were whatever you were two years ago is the same God that's going to meet you and bless you today. <clears throat> so that's good stuff. we got to declare over our lives what God has done. we got to declare. The Bible says, from one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. That's not just Jesus died on a cross and was raised from the dead. That's Jesus died on a cross, was raised from the dead. He's alive and present in my life, and the fruit of his resurrection is bringing victory in my everyday life. Let me tell you about what he did. It says in the Bible that the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. You want to hear the voice of God. You want to start to encounter the word of God and the communications of God. Rehearse over your life the things that God has said to you in the past, the things that he's done for you already. Sing praises to the Lord, it says, which dwells in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. Declare among the people. Sometimes open your mouth. I believe, therefore I spoke. Shout out to small groups. You can sit in a circle and you can tell other people what God has done in your life. I don't know if you know it. Yeah, I hear Kelly too. <laughs> Shout out to Wednesday night. All right, today, guys, we're going to talk about discern. We've, we've been using D words, and uh, last week we did declare. This week we're going to do discern, 
and it's gonna get ugly for a couple minutes because it is an uncomfortable thing to talk about. Yeah, uh-oh. Joshua chapter five, if you wanna follow along. I'll try not to get all red-faced while we talk about this, but Joshua five, verse one. <laughs> Let me paint a picture for you first, all right? So they've crossed over. We're at this point where in Declutter, we saw the first sermon series where uh, God says to Joshua, Joshua, my servant Moses is dead. And he's like, duh, of course he is. And he's like, no, no, you're, you're now the guy. You got to move on. Here we go. And so they go through these little encounters. And, and eventually the Israelites, they, they cross over the other side. They do what they did last week. They got the memorial set up. They're declaring the goodness of God. Forty years they've been waiting to get to the other side of this river and to start to take and to possess their promise. They're on the other side of the river. They just saw God do an incredible miracle. And you got to imagine within the camp and the people, they're pumped. you got to think they're like, yes, come on, let's go. We're, we're ready now. It's time to go. Let's get this stuff done. Like, Jericho, where are you? I'm coming to Knock your walls down. But listen to what happens. The kings, the kings of the people in the land were terrified. They heard about what God had did. I mean, the, the conditions were just so ripe for Israel to just jump right in and start, you know, kicking butt and taking names, right? It's time to go. But God says to Israel, he says to Joshua, you know what? Not so fast. Not so fast. I mean, you've just seen my mighty power. You've just seen me move a, a, a river. Come on, who's ever seen a, a river move? They've got a history of being delivered from a, an empire in Egypt. They've just been fed manna from heaven. I mean, they've got to be on the very verge of faith. They've got to know our God is able. He's capable. Let's do it. And God says, no, sit down. We've got to do something first. What I need you to do in Joshua chapter 5, he says, is I need you to make flint knives for yourselves. And I need you to circumcise the sons of Israel again a second time. Praise God. That's creepy. So Joshua, being a good and obedient servant of the Most High God, he took flint knives and he circumcised the sons of Israel. <clears throat> I get this, the hill of the foreskins. Praise God. You got to love the Bible. It's pretty honest. Eh? Pretty straightforward. Let's call that Mount something. No, let's call it Mount the hill of the foreskins. Praise Jesus. That's our Bible. That's, those are our scriptures. Now, you got to know there's something else going on besides... Somebody came to church today for the first time and is thinking, what? <laughs> the Bible's a weird book. <laughs> I do believe it is the inspired and errant authoritative word of God. It perfectly testifies to Jesus Christ. That's what it does. It perfectly points me to Christ. But that, that allows me to say there's some weird stuff in there. I mean, what's going on? And that's what we're going to talk about. Circumcision, it's actually, there's something else going on besides the actual physical act of chopping off some skin. There's something else happening. Even in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses says, you know what, God is going to come and what he's going to do is he's going to circumcise your hearts. So even in the Old Testament, the Israelites were supposed to understand that this act, as painful as, as whatever as you think about it, uh, it actually signified something else. And it's that something else that we're going to talk about. Nobody be freaking out, running for the exits. It's all good. We don't do that stuff. The New Testament is very clear. says that's going to profit you nothing. Don't worry about it. You're safe. But circumcision is all about this. It's all about being able to discern identity, authenticity, and what's of the Spirit of God and what's of the flesh. 
We're going to unpack that a little bit here. So Joshua chapter 5, he says, this is the reason why Joshua circumcised. And I'm just going to jump right in and tell you. There was a whole generation of people in the wilderness who had not been circumcised. And in Genesis chapter 17, verse 9 to 11, God encounters Abraham and he says, now for you, Abraham, you should keep my covenant, you and your descendants throughout all of their generations, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between you and me. Now again, I'm thinking, what's wrong with the tattoo? Right? As Pastor Carl says, what's wrong with, you know, just cutting off a little bit of your face? Something, you know what I mean? Why does it have to be that? That's crazy. But there's something very powerful, something very significant that's communicated in, in the act. The act of circumcision, no pun intended here, it cuts to the heart of identity, of authenticity. It's, 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 an, it's an action that is very exposing for those who have to go through it. God sees you for who you are. Nothing's really hidden. And it cuts off the flesh and leaves you in a place where it's just the Spirit of God. I mean, these are some pretty significant things about life. And God said to Israel, you know what? You guys are super excited. You're super pumped. We're ready to go. I got a promise for you. But before you go anywhere, I need you to stop. We got to get these things right. We got to understand identity. You got to be comfortable in your own skin. You got to embrace this thing called authenticity. And you got to know that there's nothing in your life that God's going to do that's not by his spirit. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So we need to know what it means to walk in the power of the spirit of God. And that's what this is really all about. See, God could have, he could have, he said, you know, before you cross the river, in the privacy of the wilderness, not in front of all those people that I'm going to send you to conquer, uh, you can do it over there somewhere. He's like, no, 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 no. There's something about this that's deeply exposing. There's something about this that's going to cut to the core of who you are. And that's important. That's vital. So circumcision, it's all about discerning your true identity. I mean, at a biological level, a baby's born, and Judson and Mary just had a baby. If you're watching, God bless you and your baby. Boy or girl. I mean, there's one place where they go to look. Biologically, it's, a, it's an identity marker. The Israelites identified themselves as the people of God, as all the males in their community had this act performed on them so they knew who they were. But identity is something much further than that. It can, go re- it can be really personal. So the Israelites, they got out of the wilderness, they got out of Egypt, they've crossed the river, but they weren't taught who they were. There was a generation in the wilderness that did not know who God had called them to be and who God spoke over them. He, they, they, they grew up hearing about God, but they didn't internalize it to the point where, okay, we're the people of God. I've embraced for myself the sign of the covenant. And I, I think that's very similar to, to Christians. It, it can be very similar to us as, as Christians, believers who we know we're saved, but we've, we've yet to find our identity and our significance in the person of Jesus. So it's like, Good tune. It's like we, we know that we're saved, but we still identify ourselves by our performance, by our actions, by our jobs, by our money, by our relationships, by our contributions in the world. You're saved. You've crossed the river. You're on the other side. But you're still functioning out of a broken uh, identity and a broken sense of self. And what circumcision does, it cuts to the root of identity and it cuts off the extra excess fleshly identity markers and it leaves you with a clear picture of who you are in Christ Jesus. 
See, outside of relationship with Jesus, outside of the knowledge of God, outside of growing up knowing that you're loved and accepted and embraced by your Heavenly Father, what happens is we develop a sense of self that's been shaped and formed by brokenness, by isolation. Maybe sometimes people have spoken things over your life and you've internalized that and you've taken on an identity that's not really what God says about you, but you've started to internalize what someone else has said to you. And oftentimes this kind of thing happens to us when we go through something traumatic. Some sort of trauma will happen in our lives and all of a sudden we'll start to internalize something about ourselves. And you know what? Sometimes that messaging, it comes from the devil. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10, it talks about the accuser of the brethren who accuses the people of God before God night and day. Now, the, the cool thing about that word accuser, in the Greek, it's the word kategoreho. We've heard Pastor Carl teach about this many times, but the devil is the one who categorizes us. Kategoreho is the, is the word we use to get category. Well, how, what that looks like, how this feels is, you know, you, you do something. Maybe you, you, you fail at something. And all of a sudden, there's a narrative that pops up inside of you. You're a loser. You're a failure. You tried that in the past, you're going to fail again. It's something beyond the realm of, I feel bad for what I did, I must be bad. It's that voice that's telling you there's something wrong with you. You're a bad person. You're fundamentally flawed in an unfixable way. That's the voice. That's the kind of self-identity that we can start to embrace. And what happens in circumcision is all those ways of identifying ourselves, all that sense of self that came somewhere other than God, he cuts it off of your life. Colossians chapter 2, this is how this works. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 to 12, it says that when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but praise God, not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. What we're talking about is something that happens in the realm of your heart, something that happens in your spirit. It's the cutting away of your sinful nature. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So circumcision is one of the heart. It's in the spirit. It's done by Christ at the cross. My sinful nature, my old identity, a sense of self that I picked up and embraced along the way that didn't come from God, all of that is forever cut off at the cross. That's gone. And I was raised up as something altogether new. Now, shout out to our Wednesday group. We've been looking at uh, the gospel in 10 words, and we've been talking about how, you know what? Not only did we die in Christ, but we've been raised up. The Bible says that the old is gone and the new has come. So you got to know it's not enough just to spend some time, you know, having the false identity cut off of your life. You got to embrace the new. Like Madeline was saying, you got to, you know, renew your mind. Replace that old narrative with a new one. And I've taken this from uh, Paul Ellis's... Uh, Escape to Reality blog, he wrote an article called, Who Do You Think You Are? And it's a little something entitled, I Am. It's on the notes. If you want to look at it online, you can look at, go to impactlondon.ca, look for uh, teachings, sermon archives, find this sermon. And I put this on there for you because for some of us, this might be a really good option, like a really good thing to do. Print it off and read it over yourself. But I'm going to tell you a few things about how God sees you. A few things that you can say to yourself about what God thinks about you. And there's a nice little Bible reference beside it. So everything I'm about to tell you actually is found at least one time in the Bible, and you're going to be able to see it. But imagine waking up every day and just living with this consciousness, whether you've got to speak it out over yourself or you just you've internalized it and you know it. But listen to this. It's called I Am. 
That's pretty cool, eh? You know, when you speak the identity of God over your life and you say, I am, you're speaking the name of God. I am that I am. I am righteous. I'm God righteous. I'm loved. I'm God loved. I'm holy. I'm God holy. Listen to this. I am a saint, a trophy of Christ's victory. I'm born again. I'm a new creation. I'm complete in Christ and perfect forever. I'm a child of God, the apple of my father's eye, one with the Lord and the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm eternally redeemed, completely forgiven, seated with Christ at heavenly realms, summoned by name, and I am his. I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God. I'm free from guilt and condemnation. I'm righteous, holy, and blameless. I'm healed and strong in the Lord. I'm hidden in Christ and eternally secure. I'm loved with an everlasting love. I am highly favored. I am my beloved's, and he is mine. I'm the head. I'm not the tail. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing and a joint heir with Christ. I am a competent minister of the new covenant. I'm bona fide and qualified, chosen, anointed, his royal ambassador, a missionary to the world, a stranger on earth, a citizen of a city whose maker is God. I'm pressing on to know him more, and he will finish what he started. I'm a king. I'm a priest. I'm a carrier of the Lord's authority. I'm a healer of the sick and a demon's worst nightmare. I'm king of the world because his victory is mine. I'm bold as a lion and more than a conqueror. I'm a testimony of the Spirit's power, the salt, and the light of the world. I am the sweet smell of Jesus to those who are perishing. I'm a tree planted by the water and a fruitful branch. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Come on. That's the Bible. That's what God said. Wow. Imagine how invincible you be. You wake up every day and that is just written on your heart. And you start speaking that stuff out over your life. I mean, I dare you not to feel good. Circumcision helps us discern the authentic from the false. It exposes. I mean, don't go to funny places, but if you can imagine the act, you can't hide. It doesn't happen through the covers. It's an exposing act. I love this. Brene Brown, she defines uh, authenticity as the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we really are. How powerful is that? I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there telling you what you should be. Maybe not explicitly saying, hey, Zach, you should be this. But you watch a commercial and you're like, oh, stink, I should be driving that car. You know, oh, stink, I should look like that. You shouldn't have eaten that pumpkin pie. I disagree. There's constant messaging, tell you what you should be, tell you what you shouldn't be. And circumcision is it's like a, a spiritual experience with God where you come to know that he sees you for who you really are. Where you don't spend your time anymore trying to hide from him, trying to present something to him or to other people. Now, there's a whole bunch of reasons why you can hide. Genesis chapter 3, 7 to 8, we see why uh, Adam and Eve hid. Um, the eyes of both of them, after they ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, it says the eyes of them were opened. They knew they were naked. 
they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And, and then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. First of all, how crazy is that? You can't hide from God. But that's what sin will do to you. It'll make you think that you can. They tried to hide. They felt shame. They felt deficient. They felt like there was something wrong with themselves, and so they tried to hide. Now, I, I've never tried to hide behind a fig leaf. I've never done that. I'm guessing most of you haven't. I'd be interesting to see by a show of hands who has. <laughs> Maybe don't. Keep your hands down. That's weird. Rewind that on the tape. But we certainly hide behind other things. Isn't that true? Sometimes you can hide behind a false identity. Sometimes you can hide by, I don't know, trying to project something of yourself that's just not really you. Sometimes you can hide behind a, a relationship. Sometimes you can hide behind fear. Sometimes we just literally hide. I mean, who's an introvert who knows what it's like to hide from people? I do that. You knock on my door. Sometimes I won't answer. If the car's in the driveway, I'm hiding. But we can't hide from God. He sees me. He knows me. I'll get to the door eventually. He's convicting me. God sees us, and he's not afraid of our sins, and he's not afraid of that thing about us that we don't like, that we think we need to hide. I mean, it's even in the story itself. Adam and Eve thought they needed to hide, but God's the one who's chasing them down. Sin didn't affect God. It didn't affect the relationship. It affected them. Something became wrong with them. And yes, Jesus was going to have to come and deal with it. But it didn't affect the relationship. It didn't affect the heart. What it affected was the human mindset. And from that moment on, we started to treat God like an enemy who was out to get us. Because we internalized there's something wrong with me. And therefore, he must be mad at me. But you know what? God sees us for who we are. You can't hide from God. It says there's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now you can freak out over that and think, oh my goodness, he knows what I did last summer. I am in trouble. <laughs> or I would suggest an alternate reading. He sees me for who I really am and he still loves me. He saw that ugly thing and he said, you're cute. That was dumb. But man, do I still love you. Amen. Now here's the thing. Sometimes, sometimes it can take a while. Right? Sometimes it can take a little bit of time in order to internalize the love and acceptance of God for us. So in Joshua chapter 5, verse 8, it says, As they had finished circumcising all the people, they stayed in their place in the camp when until they were all healed. Sometimes it can take some time. But God's saying, you know what? I've crossed you over the river. You're ready to go. Don't be in doubt. Don't be uncertain about the fact that I have a promise for you to possess. I have a land for you. I have an inheritance for you. But this is so, so, so important. You got to know this. You got to know how I see you. You got to see yourself the way that I see you. And you got to be comfortable enough with who you are. Your, my love for you must be internalized so that you love and accept yourself. Until that's there, something might go wrong when you start charging the walls of Jericho. We got to know who we are. We got to know that he loves us. Sometimes it takes time. And God says that's okay. 
We're afraid if he sees us for who we really are, he might not like it. But it's, that's the voice of shame. That's not the voice of God. That's the devil. I love this quote here in Galatians chapter 5, 25 to 26. It says, this is in the Message Bible, but it says, Since this is the kind of life we've chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we don't just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment in our hearts. In other words, this is not just information. This is not just let me read this list to you so you feel good for a moment. This is let's work out every detail, all the implications of this in your life. And when that happens, you know what's going to happen in your world? You're not going to compare yourselves with each other as if one was better and another worse. We got far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each one of us is an original. How good is that, eh? Wow. So we got to be authentic. we got to take the time to let, let, God, let, let God speak over you and, and impart identity to you. And then be happy about who you are. Accept yourself. Accept yourself for who you are and where you are and how you are. You know, maybe there's something in your life that you don't like. Maybe you're like, man, I wish I was better at this. I wish I didn't do this. I wish this would change. Well, do you know what? Maybe God's saying, yeah, but he loves you exactly where you are and how you are. And, you know, when you can embrace and accept that love, you can actually have the courage and the strength to begin to address those things in your life that you don't like. Because now your identity isn't dependent upon it. Now your standing with God and with other people isn't dependent upon whether I acknowledge or not that something is good or bad. I mean, it's there whether you like it or not. So you might as well not deceive yourself. Just accept the fact that it's there. Let's deal with it. But deal with it from the fact that God loves you. He's crazy about you. He accepts you exactly where you are how you are and where you are. Come on. Amen. All right, and finally, circumcision, it helps to discern between the spirit and the flesh. What, of is, what is of God and what is not of God? Kind of like David and Goliath. You ever wonder why David ran at Goliath and was like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? It's like, that's not just a naughty, like, I don't know, word that he was saying at him, right? He's not just trying to insult him. He's trying to say, you know what? I have a covenant with God. And he doesn't. He discerned what was of God and what wasn't. And we've got to do the same. But here's the good news, guys. A lot of people get really hung up over, am I in the flesh or am I in the spirit? We want to live in the spirit. We want to walk in the spirit. We want to experience all the things that the spirit of God can do for us and in us and through us. We don't want to live life on our own terms. We want to live by the spirit. Now, here's the good news about that. You are in the spirit. You are right now. Right now. If you've embraced Jesus Christ, you are alive in the Spirit, and the Spirit of God is alive in you. I'll show you in the Bible, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. But you are in the Spirit, if... The Spirit of God lives inside of you, not if you live and act and behave a certain way. Some people get really hung up over this thing. They want to walk in the Spirit. They want to experience all that God has for them, the glories of the heavenly realms and the Spirit and all that stuff. Amen, we do. But who knows, that's a gift. That's a grace gift. That's the outworking of the Spirit of God in my life, and He's already in me. It says in the Bible, doesn't it, that uh, out of whoever believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Those who believe. The starting place is I'm in the Spirit. 
I might do something dumb that's not motivated by the Spirit of God, but that doesn't mean I'm not in the Spirit. That means I did something dumb motivated by an impulse from a, a forgotten memory of what I used to do and how I used to function before I got born again. But I don't have dueling natures inside of me. I'm not in the flesh one minute and in the Spirit the next. I'm not in the sinful nature and then in the God nature. I'm in the Spirit all the time, 24-7, 365, without fasting, Bible reading, without not sinning, I'm not endorsing sinning, and I am endorsing reading your Bible, even fast if you like it. But none of that gets me in or out of the Spirit. It's because I've embraced Jesus Christ. I'm in the anointed one. Do you know how I live that out? Do you know how you start to see the benefits and the fruit of that? I believe it. If I'm too busy trying to get something I've already got, I can't live out of what I have. Now this happens to you, believe it or not, right when you get saved. This is not a process. This is not a journey. This is not after you do the spirit class. This happens to you when you get saved. Now, here's the thing. Oftentimes, it takes time for us to have it settled in our hearts that not only is salvation an act of grace, but everything that God would work out in my life, be it the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God, the glory of God, the character of God, whatever it is, it's all going to happen in my life by grace through faith. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time, but what we need to do here is not embrace a journey, but we need to change our minds and embrace a new mindset that says, I have it already. I've already got it. We've got to let go of the fleshly mindsets that would try to get us to qualify for the gift of the Spirit that's given by grace. And we got to unlearn trying to prove ourselves, earn or qualify for things that God wants to give us freely and indeed already has. Before we set out, we have to have a good answer to this question. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul said, Therefore, he who supplies to the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? You've got to have a good answer for this before you try and take down Jericho. Because God's plan for Jericho is that you march around it and yell not build a catapult and knock the thing down. Who knows that happens only by the Spirit of God. Right? Imagine they go running at these big walls like crazy people, and they get their butts kicked. God had a different plan. He wanted to teach them, you know what, you're going to have victory, but it's going to be by the Spirit. And the way you walk in the Spirit is the way of faith. We're in the Spirit. Here's the big idea. You're in the Spirit all the time. You're always in the Spirit no matter what. Sometimes you might do something that doesn't resemble the fruit of the Spirit, it resembles the works of the flesh. It doesn't mean you're no longer in the Spirit. It means that you've embraced the lie and you've acted out of an untruth. You've acted out of a residual emotion. You've been tempted to do something. It doesn't make you bad. It does make what you did bad, but it doesn't make you bad. And by the Spirit of God and by spiritual circumcision, you can make that difference between what I did and who I am. You can start to identify with who you are to the point where it starts to shape what you do. The Bible does tell us that in Hebrews 4 that the word of God is sharper. It's, it's like a living and powerful sword. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides and pierces to the division of soul and spirit, to joint and marrow. The word of God can get right down into the core of who you are, and it can help you to discern whether what you're doing, you're doing in the stress of the flesh or in the rest of faith. You expose yourself to the word of God. 
Expose yourself to this kind of spiritual circumcision. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Speak to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing those kind of songs to yourself. Say things over yourself that remind you not of what God's going to do, but what he's done. And you'll start to experience a change in your world to the point where you start to get results in your life that are beyond what you could ever do by yourself. And that's what happened to the Israelites. They crossed over. And it says they ate the produce of the land on the day of the Passover. Unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. They did the circumcision. They got themselves healed. They did the Passover. They remembered who God was and what he did for them and bringing them out of Egypt. And then on the very same day, the manna stopped and they started to eat the produce of the land of Canaan. In other words, in a moment, in a moment, they went from being supernaturally, redemptively blessed and rescued from God from being the vehicles of God's supernatural redemption and rescue themselves. In a moment, they went from needing God to supply them bread from heaven to embracing the power of God to make their own bread. See, if the plan, if you've got a picture for the plan of God in our lives that is constantly God's going to rescue me, deliver me, and do something for me, he will. But I tell you what, you've fallen short of the ultimate purpose of God in your life, which is to bring out of you the fullness of Christ that resides in you. So you're not constantly needing a miracle. You're a dispenser of the miracle. So it's a big deal, guys. Circumcision. After you cross, don't take off running to Jericho like a crazy man. Don't attempt to fight until you're settled in your new identity in Christ. You're comfortable in your own skin. You've embraced authenticity. You're no longer trying to hide. And you've learned to walk by faith in the spirit and the power of God. Now, here's a quick little word of warning, and then I'll wrap it up. What happens if you skip this process? What happens to Israel if they didn't take the time, if they didn't embrace, if they just ran full steam ahead and charged to Jericho? What can happen in your life if you fail, in other words, to just kind of take some time, internalize God's love for you, internalize his acceptance for you in your life? If you try to skip this process, if you fail to stop and take this time to heal, to be exposed and heal, a hidden wound will surface to attack you at the place of broken identity. All of a sudden, instead of doing things in your life because God's made you something awesome, you're out there trying to prove yourself and prove how awesome you are. That's a recipe for disaster, heartbreak, and pain. A moment of inauthenticity will cause a compromise for which you can't reverse out of. Now, God can fix anything, and he does. But the Bible does say, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he'll also reap. Sometimes you sow something stupid, and God is with you. He's strengthening you, empowering you. He's giving you wisdom and his redemptive nature to help you overcome the consequences of what you've sown. And he will bring you through it. But sometimes you got to go through it. Sometimes what we do has consequences, and that's the grace and the mercy of God saying, I recognize the dignity and nobility of Christ-like dominion in you to such an extent that I'm going to let your choices matter. Sometimes if you trade in your authenticity for a fleeting moment of pleasure, the consequences can be painful. And sometimes when we act out of our own strength, what happens is we end up bringing limitation and narrowness into our lives. But when we let our lives be animated by the Spirit of God, He opens things up, He broadens things, and He blesses them. So with identity settled, self-acceptance, embracing authenticity, and learning how to walk in the Spirit, this is the advice 
I found in Galatians chapter 5, and I think it's really good. My counsel is this, live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. Why, he says, do you not choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? So my question this morning before we end is that, do you sometimes feel up and then down? Running all over? Sometimes we chase identity and significance in the things in our lives. Do you struggle with accepting yourself? Being cool with who you are? Loving yourself with the love of God? Sometimes hiding from God and from others? Erratically trying to be one thing one moment and another the next? And if we're honest, we've all done that at times. Do you feel like religiously you're on this treadmill where you're stuck trying to be in the spirit, not in the spirit, in the spirit, in the flesh, in the spirit, in the flesh? If you embrace the truth of circumcision by Christ, led by the spirit, you'll no longer experience these kind of erratic ups and downs and all over the places. And that is the beautiful truth about spiritual circumcision. Amen. Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast. We're here again still in our series called Boot Camp, and we're ready now. We've crossed over. We're in the land. We're ready to possess, but then suddenly it's not so fast. Hold on a minute. And God says, make knives yourselves, and we're going to go through circumcision. We're going to cut to the root of your identity, and we're going to remove any brokenness or anything that could hinder you from fully realizing your future destiny. This is a really important principle, a very important truth. And Pastor's Act does such a great job of establishing you in your identity, authenticity, and in the spirit, walking free from the flesh. So you're going to be blessed. Come on, let's get into the Word. 